your Bibles in hand, please open up to the Gospel of John. We are going back to chapter 4 for a sequel or a continuation of last week. You may remember last week we talked about how Jesus approached a Samaritan woman uh, and shared about the hope that we have in him. While we read that passage, you may have realized that we skipped several verses. We went from talking about Jesus sharing about who he is, that he is the Messiah. He said, I am he. And then we read that the lady ran to tell the townsfolk about who she is, uh, about who she had found. But then we skipped several verses, and when we came back, we just read the conclusion that all these other fellow Samaritans came and eagerly approached Jesus and came to find that he really is the Savior, according to her witness. That unthinkable thing happens in Samaria where a Jewish teacher went in and suddenly all these Samaritans are confessing faith and trusting in the Lord. But in between this great revival, there is a section of teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ. He teaches us what type of view we ought to have regarding his mission, his life. He teaches us how we ought to view this world that he has put us in. He teaches us what our own view of ourselves should be as his disciples. These three areas, we were looking at how Jesus saw his mission, how he saw the world, how he saw his disciples. How we view these three areas matters in this life. In the mid-1900s, many mainline Protestant denominations decided that they weren't sure if they could really trust the teachings of Jesus anymore. They weren't sure if the mission of Jesus was really the same mission we needed to keep having. And so they began to take on this view that Jesus was an excellent example, maybe a wonderful symbolism for how we ought to live. A good example Jesus was for us, a good teacher. They began to take on a view that this world was a broken world, but a world that just needed a little bit of fixing. That societally, if we could just do a little better with his teaching, we could attain what Jesus intended. They took on a view of themselves as people that lived an enlightened and improved life, and that they just needed to share with people that were ignorant on it. The result of their views was that the gospel ministry in these churches ground to a halt. Churches ceased to be planted. People stopped coming before the word of God to really study and know the heart of the Lord, his heart for the lost. Large, formerly tens of millions, people with tens of millions of congregants, these denominations plummeted down to losing three to five million members. Can you imagine that? How many people that is exiting the church? And it's really no wonder. What they're teaching really isn't life transforming. It's another philosophy, another way. Clearly, how we view Jesus and the world and even ourselves matters. Church, can we study today what Jesus had to say about these three areas? I want us to pick it up in John chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 27, a little recap. We're going to go until verse 38 today. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Uh, yeah, what do you want or why are you talking with her? 
Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food? said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. We start off in this passage, as often is the case with these narratives with Jesus, with the disciples missing the point. The disciples return and they see a most peculiar development. Their rabbi, their teacher, Jesus, is talking with a Samaritan woman. That in itself is strange enough. But rather than asking the question, whoa, what's going on here? Or what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Instead of inquiring, what is this development? They kind of just ignore it. And once this lady runs back to town uh, to go tell the people about Jesus, they come and they don't ask about what happened. They just say, did you eat yet? <laughs> We have a, sometimes a saying in Chinese where it's almost a greeting when you say, did you eat? Uh, in some parts of China, Yitzilama is kind of like they're greeting, like, oh, have you, have, you, have you eaten yet? Or it's kind of a way of striking up conversation. Here, it's just the first thing their minds go to. Rabbi, eat something. You must be hungry. And here's this sharp contrast that we see where this Samaritan woman, you know, who's this woman of ill repute before, left this place Although she was physically, you know, without water, didn't fill up her water jar, she went back spiritually filled with her mind on spiritual things, excited in the Lord. Here comes the disciples filled with food, taking care of the physical things, but spiritually, they're oblivious, right? This happens to us in life. We get caught up with the physical things in life, the daily demands, and we can miss the spiritual things that God wants to teach to us. Well, we see here that Jesus is indeed a good teacher, and he seizes the occasion about when they're talking about food to talk about what is it that we should really be focused upon, right? And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. What is this food, and the disciples still don't get it. They're still wondering, oh man, did someone bring him food? Did she bring him food? Where did he get the food, right? Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Number one, the way that Jesus viewed his mission in himself, he, Jesus saw himself as a servant of the Lord, fulfilling the Father's plan of salvation. Jesus saw himself as a servant of the Lord, fulfilling the Father's plan of salvation. 
There should be no confusion for us as we read this text here. Jesus described his mission as so central, so pressing, it was so needed. There's an urgency for him to obey the Father so much that doing this mission, being on mission for the Father, was compared to the very act of eating. Have you ever considered how essential eating is to life? I think that's a Chick-fil-A model, right? I think it says something like food is essential, and then there's like a follow-up, so we need to do it well, or something like that. Someone that works at Chick-fil-A maybe can correct me on this, right? When a baby comes into this world, it doesn't have too many concerns, but the one most pressing concern is, I'm hungry, and I need food, right? That's the first most basic innate thing. And even for some of you here today, a lot of times in your minds, food is a big deal. If you don't get to eat, that's a big deal. How many of you have heard of the term hangry? I'm so hungry that I can't help but be angry because food is that important to me, right? Food is so essential to our lives. In fact, when we skip a meal, we're very aware of it, aren't we? I'm really hungry. I didn't eat lunch. Yesterday after the servant team, our STEM uh, gathering, I didn't have breakfast. I went home and slept immediately, so I didn't have lunch either. And boy, when I got up, I was acutely aware of the need to eat. Jesus draws this analogy that, that, that just as it is so essential and pressing for us to eat, he feels this urgency that every moment he needs to be doing the work of the Lord. Sometimes we long for a certain type of food, right? Maybe you think of a juicy Chick-fil-A sandwich. Maybe you think of Korean barbecue or you think of a certain favorite food, maybe a salad. That's surprising, but maybe some of you like that, right? And, and, and you just longed for that thing. And when you get to do it, it is so satisfying. It is so fulfilling. This is part of the analogy. It's not just that he has to do it. He craves to do it. Jesus was all about serving the Father's will, and this is what brought him joy. This is what brought him his fulfillment. This is his reason for having come, is to do the Father's will. Jesus communicating to us that that is his mentality towards life. Now think about this for a moment. For we who are his disciples, little Christs, those who follow after Jesus Christ, what does this mean for our lives? This means that we, in our own lives, our passion, our, our excitement should be in meeting with the Father and knowing what is it, what is it that the Father has for us. It should be in, in, in feeling this fulfillment and enjoyment when we get to see the work of God fulfilled in our lives. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that his primary concern was always and only for the Father's purpose in his life. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean to do the Father's will here, right? What, what does it mean to do the will of the Father and to finish his work? On one hand, there's a broad application. It's true Jesus came in a, in a lot of ways to, to heal the sick, to care for those who are without a shepherd, to bring people into more wholesome community, to teach people to obey the moral law. But what's the context? The context here in John 4 is unmistakably this work of bringing people into relation with God, 
bringing people into eternal life, to, to know the satisfaction in walking with God and having a right relation with God. Just earlier, he speaks to this woman at the well about this living water that he offers that wells up to be, to be like this, this, this spring of eternal life. It's a picture of utter satisfaction in the Lord, a source of joy that's continually there that we can return to, that God's presence is constantly there. Just like John 17, 3 talks about, it's this picture of eternal life, knowing the Lord and walking with him. And then later in this passage, it goes on to talk about the one who sows and the one who reaps, and it talks about eternal life. There's no getting around it. The mission of Jesus, the work that he strives to finish and fulfill has to do with our redemption, our salvation. That is what Jesus Christ was so focused on, this, 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 uh, this fulfillment of the Father's plan to draw people back to himself. Why is that so important for us today? Well, I want you to think about, number one, just how much you're beloved by Jesus. The fact that when Jesus came to this world, you remember he is the Son of God. He is part of the Trinity. He could, in some way, say that I am part of the Godhead. But he came void of any rights and any pursuits of his own. Jesus came fully surrendered. What do you call someone that has no will of their own, that only does the will of another? Commonly in our world, it's known as a slave. He came as a servant, and Jesus said as much. He came to seek and to save the lost, right? He came as this humble servant to this inglorious task of presenting himself as the Messiah only to be rejected. And that was completely laid out in the Old Testament, that he would not be welcomed by the masses, that they would see him, they would scorn him, they would abuse him, they would reject him, and eventually they would kill him. Folks, the fact that Jesus came with this mindset to only do the will of the Father is such a testament to the fact that God loves us. That Jesus would come with your and my eternal well-being in mind and live in that pursuit his whole life, even unto death. It's a glorious and marvelous thought. Do you recognize how much you and I have been loved that Jesus lived his entire life for you and I so that we could have a relation with him. You know, it's really hard to live on some, for someone else's behalf. As a parent, I know that I'm called to lay down my life for my child, to love that child well, to look to that child's well-being over my own, to bear with that child in their disobedience. And it's so hard, and I fail in so many ways. As a husband, I'm called to lay down my life and look to the needs of my wife above my own and to, and to be able to sacrifice of my own life and my own privileges for her good. And I struggle and I fail in that in so many ways. How amazing that Jesus came and for 33, 34 years, he did it flawlessly, day after day, situation after situation, in order that we might be brought to the Father's side. Church, brothers and sisters, you are beloved. 
Jesus lived this life fully with you and I in mind, and he saw himself as a servant of the Lord, fulfilling the Father's plan. Praise the Lord that Jesus fulfilled this mission to the very end. Do you all remember on that cross, in his dying breath, he said, he declared, it is finished. Father, I've done the work you've called me to. I've lived that perfect life pleasing to you. And I've gone and I've laid down my life as a sacrifice, as a ransom for many so that these people that, that, that scorn him and mock him and crucified him would be brought to salvation. That is our God. That is our Savior. It is an amazing thought. We'll never have to set foot on that part of the mission of the Father. Aren't you glad? I don't know about you, but I am sure glad that I don't need to bear anyone else's sin. That I don't have to suffer the excruciating weight and agony of bearing someone else's guilt and, and someone else's shame. Jesus did that fully. Jesus fulfilled the mission of God for redemption, but he didn't just do it for no purpose. He fulfilled that mission of redemption so that we could fulfill the Father's mission that has been ongoing since Genesis to draw this world that he loves to himself. Church, let's not forget Jesus saw himself as a servant of the Lord, a servant of the Father, fulfilling the Father's plan of redemption. Church, when we take time to be with the Lord and be near to the Father, I pray the Lord would diminish our appetite, not just our appetite for food, but that he would diminish our appetite for our interests, that we would care less about the new movies and TV series coming out. We would care less about those, that those crafts or those new hacks that we're so interested in, that we would care less about those sports teams that are playing, that I would care less about table tennis. I'll confess I supremely enjoy watching it, even though I know oftentimes I begin to, to indulge in it and it's no longer a healthy thing, that we would care less about the social media and reading about people's lives and care less about the things of this world that are passing away, that weigh on our mind and make us to obsess and that we would begin to care for what the Father cared for and, what for, and, and to care for what Jesus cared for in this life. And folks, what the Father cared for and what Jesus cared for really boils down to people. Another proof that we are loved. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful this day that the Father's purpose in this world is not just to have creation that praises him, although that is true, but he desires a creation to know him, to walk with him, to be known by him. Are you all walking in that relation? Remember the mission of our Lord to fulfill the plan of the Father, and that means walking in intimate relation with him. How often do we lose sight of Jesus' own view of himself? How often do we just see him as this moral teacher that, that is telling people, you gotta live this way? How often do we see him just as this really loving hippie type of guy and forget that he was, he was adamantly, fervently on mission for the lost people around him, folks? He did not mess around, right? He was serious about discipling his disciples. He was dedicated as a teacher 
to pull along his disciples, to bear with them, to live with them, to lead them, to know the Lord and to walk with the Lord. The start of his ministry, Satan tried to derail Jesus immediately and said, you are hungry. You have been out here for for 40-some days fasting without food. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responded to him, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Folks, I think we need to be reminded of that today. It's not just about our appetites. A lot of the times, our desires and our pursuits, our appetites get in the way of us having an appetite for the Lord and knowing him well and living for him. Oh, I pray, God, that you would give us an appetite for yourself, that we would live for you and long for you. Church, would we hold on to his word and say, Lord, I need to draw near to you and I need to know how you would lead me in your truth. When I come to you in prayer, I long to hear you. Your voice, help me to turn my eyes upon you. First thing we need to remember today is how Jesus saw his mission. It's all about the Father's will, and it's all about the Father's mission. What a blessing that we get to share in that mission today. And that's related now to our second point. How did Jesus see the world? Let me start by asking the question, how do you see the world? Is this world just this ugly, harsh place? that's really difficult and really cruel? Is this world a really wonderful place full of delights and enjoyments and things to pursue? Is this life drab and bland and we're just here? I hate to say it, but sometimes we as Christians, we can actually fall back into this worldly way of seeing the world. We can view this world as just full with filled with really annoying people that are frustrating, that fail us constantly. We can fall into this mindset. How did Jesus see the world? Look what he says. Verse 35, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. What kind of outlook was this? It was a triumphant outlook. It was a joyful outlook. It was an outlook filled with anticipation of what God the Father was doing in their midst. You see, Jesus saw beyond the food. He saw that there was a crowd coming back with the Samaritan woman. He sees that indeed the fields are white, ripe, beyond ripe, urgent for harvest, if you will. The word of God constantly emphasizes this point, that any time is the right time for a person to hear of the Lord God, their creator who loves them, and to turn back to them. Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved all of you, to the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Before Jesus came, the invitation was there. Whether you're a, a, an Egyptian or a Syrian or someone far off, far off away, come, turn to the Lord. The fields are white on the harvest and that there's opportunity to turn to God here and now. Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 6.2, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. 
right? Now is the time to be able uh, to turn to the Lord. Uh, in, in, uh, Peter says on Pentecost, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. After, before the coming of Jesus, after the coming of Jesus, the heart of the Lord is always for people to turn back and that should excite us. Blackaby has that quote, God is always at work around us. Do you believe it? That all throughout this community, even as I'm preaching to you right now, there are people that God is working in their hearts. God is getting them ready. God is seeing them as someone waiting to be harvested and brought in to the kingdom of God. Here's the question, church. Do we have that same view of this world? Do we pray with this expectation and this belief that truly here and now, in this coming month, this coming week, the fields are ripe for harvest, that there's people all around us, and we're going to encounter some of those people that are hungry. They are, they are really desperately searching for more, like this Samaritan woman. She's so tired of broken relationships that have failed, so tired of going out to a dusty old well to draw water escaping the attention of people? Do you believe that there's people that are, that are so fed up with life that some of them don't even know why they live anymore? Do you know that there's some people so lonely that if anyone were to ask them to engage them in a relationship, they would be so blessed and so eager? Sometimes we give ourselves the same excuse that Jesus is pointing out. It's that idiom that they used back then saying, it's not time for harvest Let's take it easy for a while longer. Harvest is coming another time. Four months and then the harvest, right? It's still four months until the harvest. We think maybe after enough trouble happens in the world, after another war breaks out, after another disaster, after another pandemic, four months and then the harvest. Sometimes you may think that maybe after this next batch of students arrive, after four months, the harvest. Sometimes we think to ourselves, maybe the next neighbor that I encounter, four months, and then the harvest. Sometimes we think maybe in this next decade or next reunion, that family member, maybe four months until the harvest. We think to ourselves, that conversation, maybe I'll have it next time. Four months until the harvest. I believe so often we take all this mindset that we're just, just going to put it off because I don't want to deal with the implications that here and now God is calling me to be faithful. Here and now God might want me to be faithful, to pray to him and to trust in him, right? And to believe that God is going to do a work that only he can do in this person's life. Church, we've never gone a year at IBCA without baptisms by the grace of God, but I believe we need to be praying with far more anticipation. We need to be praying with far more rejoicing in the fact that God has done mighty works. We need to be praying with much more consistency and expectation and much more community, believing that God wants to bring in the harvest here through our church. If God's word is true, if Jesus' word is true, then here and now this harvest has not ended. It's still white. It's still ripe. And there's still opportunity for all people all around us to come to know the Lord. Do you believe that in a time when nations have more access to traveling back and forth than ever, 
that the fields are ripe for harvest? Never has there been a time in centuries past where there is such exchange of people. I'll use China as an example. You will find Chinese people in literally every corner of the world. You go to Africa and you'll find Chinese people. You go to Australia and Chinese people. You go to South America and Chinese people, right? And you come to America and you'll find that there's people from literally every different background. The fields are ripe for harvest. In a time when people have never had more access to communication, you know how easy it is for me to follow up a contact? All I need is their digits. All I need is their phone number. All I need is their email. It's less good because they ignore it more easily. But back in the day, have you ever thought about this? You encounter someone on the market streets. You have no real way. You don't have a phone. You can't call them. You got to really hope you'll see them again. We have the opportunity just to follow up. The fields are wide on the harvest. Never have we had a time of more resource, luxury, and knowledge. But catch this, along with all these increasingly beneficial things, never a time people more hollow and dissatisfied in their lives. The fields are wide on the harvest. Never has there been such trepidation and uncertainty and anxiety in our world. Right? We think about inflation that is coming, the, the wars that have already broken out, the shifting world powers. People recognize this is not a stable world. Where is it all headed? Fields are wide on the harvest. Church, Linda prayed about this earlier today. We live in a time and an era by the grace of God where the church can freely proclaim the name of Christ here in America, at least, for this time being, at least, that we can do that freely without fear of repercussion. And that's not true everywhere. You can go to Indonesia. You can go to India. You can go to China. You can go to North Korea. You can go to places in the Middle East. And if you dare get out there and proclaim the name of Christ, it may cost you and your family dearly. The fields are white on the harvest, by the way, even in those places. The Lord has a way of reaching, even when the gospel is costly to preach. Jesus saw the world. Number two, second point. How did Jesus see the world? Jesus saw the world as a place filled with people ready for the good news. Folks, when we have this mindset that it's just hard, people are so difficult to get to, to get to, that conversations just didn't seem to go our way, we can start to get discouraged. But when we take hold of the mindset of Christ, this world is filled with people that are, that are needing and going to welcome the gospel when we bring it. Our expectations, catch this, our expectations affect how we pray, and how we pray affects how we see the work of God in our community. Our expectations matter. James, in the book of James, chapter 1, it tells us this. If you pray as one who is double-minded, not truly believing, you're like one blown around by the waves. You can't expect to really see the work of God because God operates, is pleased to bless those people who trust in faith. It's not that he can't do it, but that God is pleased to bless those people who put their faith in him. You remember, Jesus himself returned to Nazareth, his own hometown. What did it say about his ministry there? He did no mighty work, for the people's hearts were not open. The people were filled with unbelief. And there was, actually, it says it here later, he is a prophet with no honor in his own hometown. Now, don't get it wrong. It doesn't mean it was impossible for God to do it. 
but God was not pleased to do it there for the people's lack of faith. It's difficult for us for a variety of reasons to have that faith. Maybe you feel like you've been praying for a long time and we haven't seen the results. Maybe it's that we haven't counted the results and rejoiced in what God has done. Maybe it's just that sometimes we have a wrong view of how God answers. But I want to encourage you all to have this mindset that God wants to do this work, that the fields are ripe for harvest, and that when we get out in there in the community, we will inevitably meet some people that God has been working on their hearts in faith to believe it. You might go to any number of Japanese conferences around this region, even in America, and what you will hear about Japan is that it is an exceedingly difficult place a missionary graveyard, a place where missionaries burn out. It's a place where people are hard-hearted and don't want to listen to the gospel. It's a place that, for a variety of reasons, would seem to be hard ground. It's a broken nation. They have a track record they'd rather forget in their past military works. It's a place where their families are dysfunctional, hopelessly broken, it's a place where the academic and corporate world is harsh and unforgiving and demanding. It's a place where there is no openness in the community for fear of shame. It's a hard place, they would tell you. But if you go to these conferences these days, you might encounter one irritable fellow who just doesn't get it. He goes around and he insists Man, when you start sharing the faith and you pray in expectation and you get out there and start making relations and you start sharing the hope of Christ in your testimonies, that God saves. And I've seen it. This irritable fellow is named Ariel, by the way. I love him, by the way, Jeremiah. I promise you. He tells me it's really hard, John. I'm the only one beating the drum that God wants to work in Japan. I'm so glad he is. I'm so glad someone has a view that Jesus had that the fields are white on the harvest, no matter how hard that field may appear. And folks, some of you were on those missions trips, and you can give testimony to the fact that, yeah, some of these students, some of these college students, some of these people in the community, they were willing to have the relation, to hear the gospel, and some of them even called upon the name of the Lord, and they were saved. One thing I love about Ariel, and he always challenges me, and it's not about glorifying him, but this thing he gets really well. He prays in faith. He is a man of faith. And church, I pray we would become a people of faith willing to be disappointed, and that shouldn't be our mentality, but willing to pray big prayers and, and be okay with the fact that it may not be answered quite the way that we ask. Sometimes we want to pray the safe prayers. Why? Because we make life about ourselves and what we want. When we pray according to the Father's will, we will be willing to pray even hard, even impossible things, and allow the Lord to lead us and guide us and refine that vision. And for us to behold, there are times when we see that answered in power, and there may be times when God shows us he's doing a different work, and that's okay. Church, are you willing to pray boldly? Are you willing to be a people that has the same view of Jesus Christ for this world? That any time when we get out there and meet students and meet people and get lunches with students, 
God may have someone there that's heart is ready, right? All right, finally, the third view that we need to learn from the Lord Jesus Christ is a view of ourselves, the view of us as disciples. How should we view ourselves? Jesus viewed us as harvesters in the field ready for reaping. We are harvesters in a field that is ready to be reaped. He viewed us as people, even as it says here in this text, that are ready to rejoice alongside the sowers that are sent to reap what we did not work for, uh, things that to, to reap where others have done the hard work, as it says in verse 38, and to have reaped the benefits of other people's labor. Does this sound a little bit weird to you? <laughs> Jesus is saying, you're going to go and you're going to start seeing great results of people coming to the Lord. You're going to see people turning to the Lord and it wasn't about you. You didn't do the heavy lifting. It wasn't because of your awesome prayers. It wasn't because of your convincing arguments. It wasn't because you spent year after year bringing them along. Although we pray that we would be involved in sowing. We do call that sowing. By the way, Jesus teaches about sowing. We're called to be both sowers and reapers. But too often we only focus on the sower. We only focus on the fact that we just got to get out there and disseminate and scatter the gospel as much as we can, and then we're done. Why? It is safer to sow and say, I know God will use it, than to be the reaper who says, I believe, Lord, you're going to use us because you're a God of salvation. You're going to bring people to faith because you're a God of mission. You're still doing the work that you sent Jesus Christ and the disciples to fulfill. And we are here. Use us to reap. Jesus acknowledges both. They're both so important, but we need to remember that as the reapers, we depend not on what we can do, but on what God has already done. Y'all remember our brother Shane sitting here? Brother, you're here today. I hope I don't mean to embarrass you. Shane didn't come to faith because we were so great in pursuing him and knocking on his door going to his jiu-jitsu class and making friends with him or working out with him. Shane came to faith because the Lord was already drawing his heart. If I'm not mistaken, my brother already had an inkling in his heart, this burden, I need to get back to church. I need to get back there. You remember in his testimony, he went to be an atheist for a while, right? But he understood, I need to get back. That wasn't because of us. Brother, maybe one day you can share with us a little more. What were the ways that God showed that to you? But God was using other people, other circumstances, even his own spirit to sow, to sow powerfully in the way that, that, would, that would affect Shane in a way to, to bring him out on that Sunday. Ironic thing is that same Sunday, my dad was here preaching, right? And somehow God used the evangelist on that day. God uses the evangelist powerfully. Alex stepped up to the plate to make the invitation to the, our brother but that day, Shane wasn't so much the sower. Or sorry, Alex wasn't so much the sower. Alex was a reaper, right? He was someone who harvested that day. It's humbling for us in evangelism and outreach to recognize it's not about me. It's not about what can I, I can do. But God is working already, and I just need to join him with where he's at. Just a year ago, I was out in evangelism. Uh, we were talking with this Indian student. I thought that's where God wanted us to approach that person. 
Um, and Hattie started to act up. She's my evangelism partner these days. And so I was kind of dismayed and I went to the side and just sat down on a couch trying to play with her. She was jumping up and down on the couch. And this student next to me finishes up his phone call and is just idling on his phone. And I sensed the Lord leading me, hey, you have an open opportunity right here. There's someone right here, right? And you want to get back to that conversation? Well, I've given you one right here, right? And so I gingerly reached out and say, oh man, sometimes you got kids and you just got to step aside and hang out with them. And they do crazy stuff like jumping up and down on this couch and struck up a conversation. And I used it to try to get into the gospel. I said, you know what? I'm so glad that we've been given family with fathers that care about us, that teach us, that love us, that are patient with us. He's like, yeah, I am too. And I shared with him, I'm so grateful that we have a father and our God and our creator who's even more loving than anything we could ever experience here on this earth. And then he quirked an eyebrow and was curious. So I shared what scripture says about God as a father with him. And I shared that God as his father has given his son for him. And I, I shared that he could have God as his father, one who walks with him every day and shoulders his burdens and cares for him and teaches him and, and will lead him along the way and open the doors for his future so he's not walking alone. And I didn't know where, if I was getting any good feedback, but he was watching intently. And despite my lack of faith, you know, at the end, when I asked him with hesitation, is this something that you feel like you would want, this relationship? He says, yes. I would, to my shock. Despite us, sometimes God is willing to show us the fields are white for the harvest, and sometimes we are just called to be the harvesters. Now, there are others who sowed. He shared with me later that he had a youth group he grew up in. He had heard the gospel. No one had ever told him, how does this work, entering into a walk in relationship with God? I'm so blessed that day just to be a part of the process, folks. That was God's grace to me just to encourage my heart. And it was a joy to be a part of it, church. And I pray that we here at IBC would get that joy regularly, that we would encounter that person, that God has been ready, working in their hearts, and God will allow us to be the last link in the chain to bring them in, that we would rejoice with the one who sows. And sometimes we'll never know who those sowers are. But you know what? One day we're all going to get to heaven. We're going to meet not one sower, but a whole group of people that sowed and prayed. And we're looking out for these lost people. And we're going to rejoice and celebrate that this person is in the family of God. And sometimes God lets us celebrate here and now in that process. Church, these coming weeks... I'm going to challenge us to be very intentional in prayer, to be persistent, adamant in seeking the Lord, to commit to fasting. You know what fasting is? It's exactly what Jesus was kind of talking about here, right? It is not about the food. He has a different food that is more important and meaningful. When we fast, we really bring to mind that teaching of Jesus Christ. It's not about bread alone. It's not about the food it's about walking with the Lord and living for him. That's what life is really about. So let's assess our busy agendas this year and begin to make room. I have four closing applications. Once again, before we get to it, three 
views we should take on from Jesus. Number one, Jesus saw himself as a servant of the Lord, fulfilling the Father's plan of salvation. Number two, he saw our world as a place filled with people ready for good news. Number three, he viewed us as harvesters in the field ready for reaping. Finally, the four, uh, these four applications for us. Number one, would you walk closely with the Father each day, just as Jesus took time to retreat back to the Lord, especially when ministry was overwhelming? Let's do that. Let's get that time with the Father. Let's meet with the Father and, and let him know that I am here and my full attention is yours. Can we make sure that we're doing that? I want to challenge you when you come to the word and you're hearing from the Lord and hearing his truth, hearing about his principles and his heart for the lost, whether you're on your phone or your Bibles in hand, would you highlight those areas to commit them to your hearts that our God loves the lost? Number two, would you join us in prayer? You know, when IBCA started, we started with like 12 people in this uh, apartment building, second floor, and they were afraid that that old apartment building would collapse in because there's so many people in there. They've bulldozed that building since because it was su such an old building. That was the full church at that time. Not, not a lot of people, but every person praying. I want to encourage you, if you're a student, if you're working in the community, just a regular job, if, if you're a parent, I know it's hard. I understand we have to take Hattie out with us, sometimes Timothy for this. Would you join us to really seek God and ask the Lord to show us who it is around us that we can reach out to and to bring these people across our path? Let's pray persistently together. And Hannah's gonna give us more ideas of how we can stay prayerful just as the early church gathered daily to pray. I don't know that we'll do that physically daily, but we have means to daily pray as a church with intention for this mission. Number three, I want you all to come out for our equipping and training. We're going to have a training coming up this next month. Uh, Dr. Queen's going to come in and give us some instruction and, and try to help us to live out a missional lifestyle day to day. And we're also going to have that training in our discipleship, in our, uh, in our men's days, our women's days in the future, just as encouragement for how we can be mindful of the mission that we've been called to. There's always growth that we can have in evangelism. And the minute that we think that we've figured out how to evangelize, we've gotten ourselves in deep water. We need to stay dependent on the Lord. Finally, number four, will you join us in the fields, right? Would you come out with us when we go out for Saturdays? Had a great time meeting people around this neighborhood recently. Uh, so grateful for Brother Paul that's gone out these last few weeks. Would you come out to that? Would you come out to our outreaches? Would you go out on Sunday afternoons and invite people to come and eat with us, to share a meal? I think that was one of the main strategies of the early church was to bring people into the fellowship and, and that the people would see how they broke bread and how they lived among each other. And today, by the way, we're not providing food as a way of reminder, right? Everyone goes out, we're gonna go eat somewhere, or if you wanna come back, you're welcome to. Would we make sure we invite people to come and share in life, share in the meal with us? Let's go to the Lord together. Father, we pray that just as Jesus told his disciples, truly I tell you, behold, he says, open your eyes. Father, would you open our eyes as a church to see the need of the world around us? Open our eyes to see more clearly how much you, O oh Father, 
care for the broken and lost people of this world. Father, give us a love for them, a compassion for them, that we would not just see them as troublesome people or people that would be a distraction, but help them to see them as people precious in your sight, made in your image, and made to know you for eternal life, if someone would be that messenger bearing good news. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would draw us near to yourself. If we have been burnt out or discouraged in outreach or evangelism, remind us what a joy it is to be saved and to get to be a part of someone else coming to know the living God who loves them, to watch someone else being birthed into eternal life, where they can take hold of all your promises and, and take confidence and hope in their futures, no matter how hard their lives are, that they can be released from years of anguish and shame and condemnation. All of that falls off, Lord, when we come to find you, Lord. You provide that for us in salvation, in eternal life, in knowing Christ our Lord. You, 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 you bring us into a family, Lord, of, of the body of Christ where we can be cared for, where we can be provided for, where we can grow together. Father, remind us of what joy there is, in, there is in salvation. Help us not to view it as making converts. Remind us it's about bringing people to know Jesus. Just like that Samaritan woman did. She brought those fellow countrymen, maybe people that scorned her, she brought them to Jesus and he stayed with them for two days sharing with them. Lord, would you allow us to do that this coming year? Help us to see that the fields are white on the harvest. If there's anyone here today and you realize, I'm ready, I'm ripe for it, and you've never made that commitment to say, I am believing in that truth, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and he has come for me, I invite you here and now and today, make that decision to make him your king, your master, and give your life to following after him as his servant. And the Lord Jesus will come and meet you and abide in you. If you want to make that decision today, all it takes is a prayer of surrender and a devotion to him this day. 